This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, and a very, very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be with you this afternoon. Wednesday afternoon, coming to you live from the High FM studios here in Johannesburg. It's just exactly on 10 minutes past two on this Wednesday afternoon. In the weeks between Purim and Pesach, and in fact there is something written about those weeks between Purim and Pesach, in that they, number one, are within the 30 days of the Chag, within the 30 days of the the Pesach festival. And so within those 30 days we're supposed to be starting to learn to study all the rules and regulations about matzah, about chametz, um, about how to get rid of the chametz, about how to uh, prepare for Pesach and so on. There's a lot to learn and a lot to know. And we're supposed to be reviewing the laws um, of Pesach as well during this time. But Perhaps um, equally importantly is the idea of Purim and Pesach being in close proximity to each other, that one redemption leads to the other. And perhaps it's a good point to start on today when I think um, the Johannesburg Jewish community has been thrust into all sorts of um, discussions. There's not a place in nook a cranny of our community where we haven't been discussing the um, events of this past week here in Johannesburg that all started on um, almost uh, the moment I walked out of the studio last week. In fact, it was on Wednesday afternoon that we were um, hit with the um, information in the fact that although it was the fast of Esther, although it was Tainus Esther, um, that um, something was going down all about food and about the fact that um, there was um, a finding of the Beth Din that an established and well-known uh, caterer in town was um, having their license revoked due to the fact that there were some infractions, there were some difficulties, some problems, and so on. And the entire community has been thrust into this whole kashrut debate. Um, and from the one hand to the next, from the right, gravest, extreme um, right kind of a view to the extreme left kind of a view, there's all sorts of stuff in between where people have all kinds of opinions as to who was responsible, who wasn't responsible, whose job was it, whose job wasn't it, <laughs> what actually was found, what actually was wrong. And... Um, it's far be it from me to actually be going into any of those kind of details, but perhaps to think about today um, what it can teach us, what we need to learn from it, not in um, necessarily in the public forum, in the public arena, but how these things come to us as um, perhaps in the same way as Nismach Geula Ligula, um, that we've got to try and join and keep a connection between Purim and Pesach. We've got to be able to look at the types of miracles that happened in the one and join them to the types of miracles that happened in the other. But perhaps moreover, to be able to take a look at everything that happens around us and understand that it is a lesson for us to learn. Somewhere there is something for us to teach ourselves, to think about, to contemplate, and to learn from the good, the bad, the ugly, the mistakes, the issues, the problems, and the infractions of um, other people, of other um, establishments, environments, and so on, and what we're supposed to do with that information, how we can learn from it, how we integrate it into our lives, and how we make it make our lives and our world a better place for that. We come up this uh, coming Shabbos, and perhaps to connect it as well, <coughs> to the next 
um, special Torah reading, which is going to be taking place on this coming Shabbos, of the four that we have mentioned before, um, the four different Torah readings that are special and specific and that take place each year before Pesach. So a few weeks ago, we had the Parsha of Shkalim, where we met up with and we spoke about the idea of bringing the half shekel, um, which was obligatory on each and every individual. And we spoke about that in the run up to uh, Purim um, a week ago, that uh, the half shekel is given on in our time on the fast of Esther in the afternoon at Mincha time um, in order to commemorate this great and wondrous event that happened in temple times. And then we had Shabbat Zachor. The Zachor is um, the um, reading all about Amalek and about the fact that we have to obliterate the memory of Amalek and everything that he did or stood for or stands for within our lives. And that was read on the Shabbos, of course, before Purim. This now comes to reading number three on this coming Shabbos, which is the Shabbat that is known as Para. Paraduma, where we read about the red heifer. And uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. And then, of course, the fourth one is the one that will take place on the following week, which is either corresponding to Rosh Chodesh or just before Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the month of Nisan, which is known as Shabbat HaChodesh, with all the instructions of making Chodesh, um, making the month of Nisan, the first of our months, celebrating Pesach and everything that comes with that as well. But let's focus our attentions on Parshat Para, Paraduma, which is going to be happening on this coming Shabbos. So, just to clarify, you'll notice if you're in shul on this coming Shabbos, which I hope you will be, that two Sifrei Torah are taken out of the Ark. Two Sifrei Torah, two Torah scrolls. From the first one, um, the double Parsha this week is going to be read of Vayakel and Pekude, um, closing off all the instructions and all the accounts that were taken in the building and the establishment of the Mishkan or the tabernacle in the desert. And that then is going to culminate and going to complete the book of Shmot, Shmois, which is the book of Exodus that we complete on this coming Shabbos. Amazingly, we've already got two um, books of the Torah completed since um, Simchat Torah, when we began with Shabbat Breshit of uh, the beginning of those readings. We now come to the end of the book of Shmos, the book of Exodus, and um, at Mincha time, Shabbos afternoon, we'll start reading the book of Vayikra, um, where um, we get into all the things that happened in the temple. And then from the second Torah, we're going to read the um, portion of the Paraduma, which is taken from the beginning of the Parashat Chukas, Chukat, which is um, all about the red heifer and what it meant, what it did, and um, what it was all about, what it actually meant to us all. Now, we read this always on the uh, Shabbos between uh, Purim and uh, well, now there are actually two, but it's always read between Purim and Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and it is called Parshat Para, sometimes known as Shabbat Parshat Para, on which we read about the Paraduma, about the red heifer. And what was this red heifer all about, and what does it actually symbolize? Well, it is a very, very fascinating and interesting um, discussion in and of itself, because the concept of the red heifer, there was a red cow that had to be found. And in fact, we're told that throughout history, 
up until today, only nine such red cows were found and utilized for this service in the temple. The tenth one, we're told, will be found for, and that will be the last one, will be found for the time of the coming of Mashiach, uh, when there will be a need for what it was that the red heifer actually accomplished um, to be um, instituted once again and to clean us up from, so to speak, from our time in the diaspora. Um, and therefore, once that is done, there will not be a need for another one. Well, what was the red heifer actually all about? An absolutely red cow had to be found. This cow was not allowed to have even two hairs that were of uh, not red. It was an albino. It was a freak of nature, this red, red cow with red, red hair. Um, and it also was never allowed to have um, um, been utilized for any kind of work. In fact, if even once a yoke was put upon its neck and it was utilized for work, it was invalidated as well. So it was this rare freak of nature. And then the red cow once purchased for the usage as it as it was needed in the temple, it was then ritually slaughtered. It was then um, burnt, and the ashes were utilized in a strange concoction, a strange potion, which cleansed people from contact with the dead or with death. And if you think about that, well, it was whether it was intentional or unintentional that there was contact with death, that even if somebody had been in a building where perhaps, God forbid, somebody had passed on and they were in the same environment under the same roof as death, as some dead body, so to speak, um, they then needed to go through this process of ritual purification. And the ritual purification from contact with the dead could only take place through the usage of this potion that was made from the ashes of the red cow, of the red heifer. And there was a very, very strange anomaly, never mind that that was complicated, there was a strange anomaly, and that was that the Kohen, who was utilizing this potion and making you, so to speak, the subject now uh, pure, he himself became impure through that action. And this is something that has defied the minds of the greatest thinkers of all time. Even King Solomon said he never really got to the rationale behind the red cow, the red heifer, the Paraduma. Back with you right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Welcome back. Nice to be back with you. And we're chatting about Parshas Pora and what we can learn from it. Well, the great sages of all time, including people like King Solomon, said and said quite emphatically that um, the reasons for the paraduma, for the red heifer, escaped them. It was, in fact, um, Torah thinking has it that Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moses was given the uh, reason for it all, but it was not something that was released or revealed and not readily understood to our rational thinking minds. Now we've got inquiring minds and we like to unpack things and we like to have reasons and we like to understand them. It is part of the human condition, I guess, and certainly of the Jewish condition. We question, we ask, we want to unpack it, we want to understand. And so there are so many different um, um, ideas and thoughts um, surrounding this concept of the paradum of the red heifer. Um, but we need to understand, we need to know that there is something very important about the fact that the real fundamental bottom line reason actually escapes us. And part of what that is about is uh, to increase our our um, 
belief system, um, our faith, our faith in God, and the fact that God would not give us a mitzvah of such great importance were it not for a very good reason, whether that be practical or spiritual, a godly reason. And therefore, the fact that I don't know the reason is not going to really undermine in any way uh, my performance thereof. And I'm still going to continue to do that mitzvah, even though it is something that escapes my rational, my reasoning, or even my logic. And even once I have been told the logic, if I don't really understand it, that is not going to make me not perform that mitzvah, not do that uh, required uh, prerequisite um, from um, my own uh, doing. It is something that I'm going to continue to do in spite and despite the fact that I do not know the reason. So there was a very, very strange set of requirements, as we said. A person who had come into contact with the dead um, became spiritually, ritually defiled. And that defiling should not be confused with dirtiness. It wasn't that they were dirty, that they were contaminated in a physical sense. But there was a certain kind of a taint that they then had that um, was all over themselves, their body, their being, um, from that contamination with the dead. Now, what is death? Dead Death is something that is cold. It is when the soul actually leaves something physical behind. What remains behind we call dead. And contact with that has an impact. It has an effect on anybody who comes into contact with it. So much so that if you're in the same building, no matter how large that building is, you are tainted in a spiritual sense by the contact with that dead, with that death. Perhaps it's because there is an inf a, 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 an obligation for us to live, to be alive, to be enthusiastic, be, to be dynamic, to keep on growing, to keep on uh, breathing, to keep on having this life force that we put into everything. And the fact that it is tainted in some small way, well, there is something that we've got to do about it. There's something that we need to do which may not be that logical, but we need to try and remove the element of death or the element of negativity or the element of coldness needs to be removed from our beings, from our very souls. How is it done? Well, it can be done in the most strange and weird way because we don't necessarily understand, we don't necessarily um, grasp everything about life, and therefore life and death are things that are purely in God's hand, and even the way that we institute, that we bring about a reinvigoration after the possibility of being downtrodden, of being downcast, of being um, contaminated in this way by a, a contracting of something, an element that has to do with death, that too is something or that then is something that is done in a way that can be way, way above and beyond our logic, our rational, our thinking. And perhaps this is where the paraduma, the red heifer, really comes into play. So what happened to link it to what we started speaking about, um, the events of this past week in Johannesburg, I think, and I think that you'll agree with me that um, this has kind of captured the Jewish community. We talk about state capture. It's the capture of the Jewish community, our minds and our discussions. Over the past week, anybody who um, has any involvement, I guess, with the Jewish community has been completely thrown by um, the events. And um, everybody has opinions and everybody has the ability to point fingers. And that's certainly not what I wanted to uh, do or think about today, but rather that we think about 
what has this all got to teach us? What are we um, uh, needing to learn from it? Well, some people might say, well, it's got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with me at all because this was a matter <coughs> between two parties. Um, and um, the fact is that um, we emphatically trust um, what the um, Bethin um, has uh, told us, has said, and therefore um, they are the ones who are dealing with it. It's really got nothing to do with me. Far be it from me to interfere, to point fingers, to give advice, um, although we all like to do that um, as often as possible and as much as possible. But it's not for me to give the advice. It's not for me to tell them what to do. They are capable people, great thinkers, great people. Let them handle it. And it's really got nothing to do with me. They tell me that I can eat this. They tell me that I can't eat that. And um, it's fine. I'm very, I'm a Kabbalah Olnik. I am, I can take a, take the yoke of whatever is put upon me, upon me. And uh, have a nice day. I'm off and um, I can sleep well at night. But surely there's something deeper than that, that um, the Poraduma, the red heifer message um, needs to get to us, I guess, a little bit. And that is that when a person becomes contaminated through contact with the dead, it is not something that they necessarily did knowingly sometimes it is knowingly if you attend a funeral if you know that you're walking near a grave but sometimes it's something that happens inadvertently and when it happened inadvertently you were still in a state of impurity you were still in a state of being with uh, in contact with the dead and you therefore needed to go through some purification process and the purification process was not necessarily the down-to-earth logical process of unpacking it all and saying, well, this one was responsible, that one wasn't. What do I have to do now? Do I need to cash on my dishes or don't I? Simple practical stuff. But there was something whereby a person themselves needed to take a long and a hard look in the mirror and say, well, what do I need to learn from it? And what do I need to learn about me, about myself and about my life and about the things that I am actually trying to accomplish and achieve in the very first place by keeping kosher, by doing any of the other mitzvot that I do um, and uh, living my life according to that kind of a, a yardstick and that kind of a plan. So what can one learn or perhaps to suggest a couple of things that we could think about when it comes to the situation that we were confronted with and that everybody is debating and talking about? I think that perhaps number one, is the idea of the fact that we all need some kind of checks and balances. Um, the whole way, the whole structure of um, kind of uh, in a kashrut establishment is that we say, well, while you and I may be the uh, most wonderful people, we still need somebody else to be there or people to be there who have a different agenda, and their, their agenda is to watch, to check people make mistakes, and to keep us on the right track, on the right path. Well, you know, we ourselves need hashkacha. We need some sort of supervision, even on ourselves. We need to supervise our own lives. We're living in a day and an age where people feel that um, everything can be just left to roam freely. No. Not at all. We've got to have our checks and balances. We need to make sure that we have our own hashgacha, our own um, supervision, and that we supervise and that we are able to discern, hey, this is right and this is wrong. 
unpack it, look at myself in the mirror and say, this is where I went wrong. This is something that I did. And here I made a mistake. This is something that I need to fix. Here is something that I need rectification. And sometimes those rectifications are in a way that is logical and simple and easy to perform. And sometimes it needs something that goes way beyond. It needs something perhaps that even gets into the realm of being illogical, of being irrational, of being above and beyond to do something that's of a totally spiritual nature in order to cleanse and in order to purify. So perhaps lesson number one is, do I have the right checks and balances on myself? Have I um, got enough personal supervision of um, myself or of others to make sure that I am doing things in the correct and the proper, in the most uh, moral, ethical and Jewish way? Perhaps a second um, tier kind of a lesson is that ultimately we're all responsible for ourselves and for our own um, performance of mitzvot. And particularly, again, borrowing from the example of kashrut, we kind of live with the idea that um, once there is a bethin or there is supervision, that it's no longer up to me to check. You know, it used to be the old adage that people say, well, if... You know, something goes wrong after all of that. You know, the sin is on the Beth Din's head. You know, it's their problem. It's their fault. Um, from our point of view, we can't really use that argument because we're all responsible for ourselves. We are obligated ourselves to make sure that the things that we do and the mitzvahs that we do and even the kashrut that we eat, that we check ourselves, that we ourselves are concerned, that we ourselves are worried about it. It may well be that um, something doesn't necessarily meet the right and correct standards. Just the fact that there is some kind of an outside supervision doesn't necessarily make it that you are exonerated from all your own obligations. And, of course, um, the Beth Din can supervise and can tell you that certain products are kosher, but there's still a tremendous amount that can go wrong in your own environment. It could be that it's a meat dish and it's mixed with something milk. It could be that you have washed things up incorrectly. We need a certain diligence that we take. Um, upon ourselves and a certain due diligence that we actually do on our own, uh, never mind our own kitchens, but in our own homes, um, in order to make sure that um, our mitzvot are properly fulfilled, are properly done, and that our lives are lived according to the standard that we are portraying, that we're putting out there, and that we are desperately, hopefully, trying to live up to. So a second point then is the fact that we need to take our own responsibility. And the third um, idea perhaps uh, to share with you right now is the fact that um, we ourselves have to remember why it ultimately is that we keep kosher and that we keep these mitzvahs. Um, I personally received several messages, as I'm sure most did around town, with all sorts of accusations and all sorts of things that have been said that were said. Um, and um, people's ideas about what should happen, what shouldn't happen. Um, ultimately, each and every one of us, even though it was something that happened um, somewhere else, <coughs> has an element of responsibility from a spiritual point of view. And that element of responsibility is that within our community, there has been something that has fallen. Let's use that example. Something fell down. Whose responsibility is it to pick it up? It is 
our responsibility. Everybody has a responsibility to raise the bar a little bit, to lift up um, and elevate a little bit. Each and every one of us has a responsibility to increase and do a little bit more in the realm of our Torah and our mitzvot, in the realm of doing acts of goodness or kindness and so on, in order to um, cancel out, in order to really put paid to this um, falling down that has happened within our midst, within our community. That's not just the responsibility of the Beth Din. That's not just the responsibility of the rabbis or the chief rabbi. That is the responsibility of each and every one of us to once again look in the mirror, take a close look at ourselves and say, well, what am I doing about it? How am I going out here to elevate, to lift up, to pick up and to raise the bar of um, our community and of uh, our environment and certainly of my own um, person and my own family. And so there is so much to learn from um, even a seemingly negative um, action or infraction that happens within our midst. There is so much that we as Jews need to um, introspect upon, take to heart, and make sure that we come out the other end better people because ultimately, after all, we are all one. When something happens, yes, we need to identify as many do with um, the perpetrator. We need to identify as we, many do with the victim. We need to identify as many do with the judge who has to sit in judgment in a difficult um, situation, a difficult scenario. But let's also understand that each one of these is actually a graphic metaphor for the way that we ourselves have to interact with ourselves and with others around us and with our lives in general in order to be able to take the um, messages that are being sent through to us that at times we do need that compassion and at times we do need that strength, at times we do need that judgment, at times we need to be cruel, to be kind, at times we need love and at times we need tough love and at all times we need to remember that each and every one of these things comes to us as an important lesson for how we are to live and improve and better our lives. We have been contaminated. We need to make sure that we see to the advent of the para aduma, of this red heifer, this red cow, which will reinvigorate us, bring life back to something where a little part of us has died and made all the difference in our lives and in our world. I'll be back with you right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi and welcome back. Yes, we've been talking about the Parshat Para and um, what it means to us in light of perhaps recent developments here in Johannesburg and how we are meant to take these things personally. Think about them in terms of why do they happen um, in our midst? What am I supposed to learn from it? And what am I supposed to do in order to correct, in order to rectify, in order to help to fix? We cannot continually point fingers at others. We've got to take personal responsibility, which leads us, of course, to the idea of the fact that um, people don't take enough responsibility in their own lives and within um, any realm. Uh, responsibility is a great and incredible accolade and a great and incredible um, value that people have to 
each and every one of us has to take within our own lives and within our own environments, the idea of acceptance of responsibility. It is always so much easier to say, it wasn't me. It's always so much easier to point fingers and blame somebody else. It is always so much easier to say, um, it's all your fault. It's all somebody else's fault. The idea of accepting responsibility is the first basic step in tshuva, in repentance, um, that I take responsibility, that no, I'm not anymore going to be saying um, I couldn't help myself, it wasn't me, it was some kind of an external force that made me do it. You remember well in this country there was the devil defense, the devil made me do it, the devil made me do something else. Even that is a form of a non-acceptance of responsibility. Why do we always need to say it was something else, it was something extraneous, it was something that forced me, it was something that I could not control? Surely I am and I need to be in control of myself. I need to be able to accept and take responsibility. Don't we value and don't we think much higher of those that are prepared to stand up and say, this was my fault. This was something that I did wrong. And (laughs) even though there may be some serious and sometimes not so serious consequences, I take responsibility. I'm responsible for my own life. I'm responsible for me. And I'm responsible for And I take responsibility for the consequences thereof. It's often a very, very strange thing. I guess we're raised in that kind of an environment where um, people are hauled over the coals. They go to court. They eventually wind up sometimes being um, um, found guilty, going to jail. There's all sorts of things that happen in uh, people's lives. And so often they say, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. And don't we respect so much more the individual, even in a difficult and dicey and horrible situation where a person is able to say, I accept responsibility. I did something wrong here. I was responsible for this. And no matter what the consequences are, it therefore is much easier to start working off that base of I am responsible. It was me. I did this wrong and I accept not only the consequences but I accept the punishment that may go with it and the fact that there is something that I need to learn that I need to do and that I need to fix isn't that the Jewish way and perhaps here where we think about the idea of coming into contact with the dead as in the story of the paradum of the red heifer it is something that is way beyond my control it is something that I didn't know anything about it is something that um, just happened in my environment there's still the idea of that responsibility. I need to take responsibility even in those situations. Just by being there, I'm incriminated. Just by being there, I'm involved. By living in this world, by living in this society, I'm responsible for not only what goes on, but I'm responsible for putting an end to the difficulties, to the problems, the corruption, uh, the highway robbery, whatever it may be. I have a responsibility, and when we accept that responsibility, that we are citizens of this world, that we're Jews of as part of this Jewish people, there's something that I need to do, and there's something that perhaps is above and beyond my logic. There's something that I need to do in order to fix it. Well, that is really what Para Aduma, what this Red Heifer story is really all about. It was about all of the above. 
taking responsibility, accepting that there is something wrong, understanding that we can be and we need to sometimes subscribe to a way of thinking that is above and beyond our own logic, rational and understanding, and that ultimately I need to learn from everything that happens in my environment as to how to make good, how to fix it. And sometimes that fixing is something that is in itself above and beyond my logic and my understanding. Hopefully, we will take the right messages and we'll put paid to all the difficulties, the issues, the problems, the um, horrible things, the nasty things, the bad things, the sad things that sometimes happen in our environment and in the spaces and places around us. And hopefully we'll be able to live much more meaningful, productive, and much better lives. I look forward to being back with you again next week, same time, same place, on Judaism 101.9. And uh, it just remains for me then to wish you a great Shabbat up ahead. Remember, double parsha of Vayakel Pekude, and then from the second Torah, Parshat Para. I want to wish you a great Shabbat up ahead, a great rest of the week. Look forward to being back with you again next week, same time, same place. Take care.